It's the Skinny Podcast, only on Local12.com. Now, here's Richard Skinner. Welcome into the Skinny Podcast. It's the weekly potpourri edition. I'm Local12.com digital sports columnist and editor Richard Skinner with Rick Roaring. As each week we look at uh, sports topics locally, nationally, and uh, we've got a lot of off-the-beaten-pass stuff we're going to get to, especially over the next few weeks. We are practicing safe social distancing. I'm about uh, 12 to 15 miles away from where Rick is, but he has set me up with this nifty, neato microphone, and I've learned how to use Skype, and I've learned all kinds of things for an old man. It's, it's, it's quite an exhilarating experience for me. Rick, how are you? Well, it sounds like you've been quarantined so long you actually forgot who you were there for a second during that. Yeah, I did. I, I, I drew a complete blank. I kind of zoned out. Look, remembering who you are is half the battle during a podcast, if we're being honest. The rest really comes easy after that. Well, I would tell you, if I still know who I am in another month, the way things are going, I'll uh, be way ahead of the game. Yeah, I mean, look, none of this is fun for anybody. Uh, it's a lot of serious stuff going on, but at the same time, there are some silver linings. I have eaten Geta and French toast for breakfast twice this week out of the four days so far. So I consider that a pretty big victory. Um, also, skinny. There's. No- I dislike. I dislike both of those things so much. Really, you don't. So hold much. On. Hold on. Is that where we're gonna have to start this podcast? You don't like French toast or Geta. I I can eat French toast. It's not a favorite, and I cannot do Geta. I, you could put ketchup on top of ketchup on top. I couldn't. I can't do it. Well, why would you even need ketchup? Geta is perfect the it's, way it is. Ugh. I know. I know those of you that that love your getta. I mean, oh, you so love good. your getta. I do, but I'm I'm the minority. No. Give me real, give me real pork sausage, or give me death. <laughs> well, I mean, I, th- I think either one will probably get you there. So I, I think that's a good call. Fun. But I will also say, um, a great move I made recently. There's no sports to bet on right now. We were riding that hot streak after football season and, you know, made broke even during college basketball season for the most part, was ready for March Madness. It just gets ripped away from us. So you know what I started doing this week, Skinny? Sounds like online poker to me. I started day trading. I'm just gambling on stocks now. No (laughs) idea what I'm doing. No. Yes, it's exactly like betting on sports for me. I have no idea what I'm doing. Just throwing money out there, yelling at numbers as they go up and down. And uh, the great thing about it is at the end of the day – even if you lost, you're not out of the game yet. You get to keep playing the next day and watch the numbers again. So I'm kind of enjoying it. I think uh, Day Trader Ricky is a new thing. Oh, man. don't do you, you have no idea how desperate that can be. You don't want any part of that. Uh, too late. We're already in. So uh, And I love it. I'm loving every second of it. <laughs> How are your numbers doing today? Uh, we're up. We're up about a hundred bucks so far on the day. So what, 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 what stocks are we even looking at? Do we even know what we're looking at? Skinny. I think that's insider trading. I don't know all the rules yet, but I don't think I'm allowed to tell everybody what they're supposed to do. That's, that's a good point. Yeah, I don't think you want stock tips from Ricky either. Maybe a basketball tip, but not a stock tip. You don't really want either, but you certainly don't want stock tips. Uh, that's for sure. All right, Skinny, let's get into it. Back during simpler times, today was earmarked for a Cincinnati holiday, that is Reds opening day, but due to the coronavirus, there will be no baseball played anywhere. That being said, give me your favorite opening day memory. Man, I got a lot of them. Um, I, I, I was alive, but I wasn't around for the Hank Aaron home run, the the number 714 that tied on opening day. That was the day after the, the awful tornadoes in 74. We lived in another part of the country at that point and then moved back here the next year. So I missed that. But uh, for me, 
it, it's goofy. Uh, the 82 opener, it was a terrible team in 82 for the Reds, but I was in college and got tickets, me and some buddies, and drove up from college. And at that point in time, you could actually drink beer in Ohio uh, when you're under the age of 21. And they used to serve these big tubs, uh, these kind of, I think they were 32 ounce big cups of draft beer for like three bucks. They were the greatest thing ever. And you'd stack your big tub cups after a while. But that felt like my first real adult experience in a, in a lot of ways. I was at college. I had my own money to, to spend on the tickets, my own money to buy a beer with. I, I went to games with my dad over the years, and you always feel like you're sponging off your old man at that point. But I, I, it kind of like, felt like my first adult experience. So that one to me, and it was I remember we had seats, um, green seats in the outfield. And there was a catch up against the wall, I believe, by Gary Reedus. I remember he slammed up against the wall. I lost, I lost him when the ball was coming towards us. All of a sudden, you just saw the wall go backwards. It was kind of cool to see. Um, and that, to me, was it was a big deal for me. I mean, there's been a lot of them. I've been to a bunch of them as a as a journalist. I, I guess the one in 2000 where uh, where Junior came back, uh, his first opening day was was kind of special. I was a reporter at the Cincinnati Post then, and we had a my God, I swear to God, I think we had 20 people covering that game in various. I think I I think that day I got the Dante Bash. Bichette angle because I think it was Dante Bichette's debut as well. So I didn't get the, yeah, well, it was a great sidebar, one of the best of all time I probably ever wrote. Um, so yeah, th- th- those are probably two two of my favorite ones. Um, th- th- there's a lot of memories. You got some? Well, uh, yeah, I, I I would say more opening day. I, I kind of feel like your first story is where I think about when or where I go when I think about opening day because it's more to me about what it symbolizes and not so much about the actual sporting event itself. I know everyone, like I always talk about the Crosstown shootout is the best sporting event in the city every year. And people always say, Oh no, it's opening day. And I'm like, Oh really? Who won opening day last year? Right. And they never right. have an idea because my liver, matter. it's game one of 162. No one really cares. Of course, every now and then there's a fun finish and everyone's there. So you get to hear about it for a, a couple more days than than usual if they went on a walk-off or something. But for the most part, it's about going down, drinking beers with your buddies, being outside for maybe the first time this year. You know, it, it is about spring officially arriving, and it's just a big party. It's the best party in Cincinnati. It's not the best sporting event. So I would say it's mostly more about the times I've been down there in the action, drinking on the banks or what have you with friends. But if we're going games, I will go to 2005. There was a... Uh, uh, I believe the Reds were down by two entering the bottom of the ninth that day. And I remember I had just gotten out of baseball practice at the old FOPA fields down in Latonia when I was playing for Holy Cross High School. I believe you and your 47 mile an hour fastball. It was like 53 at least. Okay, I'm sorry. My bad. Please show some respect. Um, And I was leaving. I was in my friend Ryan Suko's car. We're pulling out. And I think Adam Dunn hits a two run bomb to tie it. And then after that, Joe Randa hits a walk-off in his Reds Joe, debut. Joe Randa. Joe Randa, not a guy that I ever really liked during his time with the Reds. Not a player I think about at all to this day, unless this topic comes up. I occasionally think of his opening day walk-off that he once hit. And uh, that's kind of the memory that sticks out for me in terms of games, just because it was it was a fun day. You know, you're, you're excited about baseball season, getting ready for your high school season, and, and the Reds went on a walk-off to start, start things. <laughs> I, I will say this. Joe Randa was one of the more underrated players of his time. 1,500 career hits, had a 100 RBI season. Unfortunately for the Reds, he came to them when he was like 38 years old. So Joe Randa in the walk-off. I remember Joe Randa in the walk-off. That's a good memory. I like it. Spe- speaking of sidebars, I will say you referenced sitting in those outfield wall seats where you're right behind the, the wall yes. and the ball coming towards you. I would argue 
Now, maybe if you really got like the diamond seats where you're right behind home plate and you can see the ball coming in, how fast it is, see the movement on some of the breaking pitches, maybe that's the best seat. But other than that, I would take the outfield wall seats where you're low enough to kind of feel the ball coming towards you as oh, yeah. an outfielder chasing over just about any spot in the ballpark. Well, I remember, I, if I'm not mistaken, Glenn Hubbard hit it. And where we were, I thought it was going to initially that, was going to be a home run. Hubbard Hubbard's it is old man. Glenn Hubbard was one of the one of the best brave second basemen of all time. That doesn't say a whole lot, but he was a very good player. Um, and when he hit it, I thought it was coming to us because we were pretty low. I thought, man, we're going to get a home run ball. And then you can see it start to die. And all of a sudden, you see the outfielder leap. And you just see, you lost him for a minute. But you watch that. That's where there was some space between the outfield wall and the seats themselves um, in, in old Riverfront Synergy Field, back then Riverfront Stadium. And all of a sudden, you just saw the wall go kind of cave backwards and then spring forward and the outfielder, I think it was Gary Reedus, held the ball up to, to show that he caught it. It was it was a pretty pretty cool scene. I'll, I'll tell you one that probably had a great memory, Rick, but certainly a memory was was the John McSherry death. I mean, um, I had done a radio I had done a radio show that day uh, for opening day and and uh, did not go to the game itself. I don't think I had work responsibility that day, so my my radio partner and I came back to my house to watch the game. And I think by the time we walked in the door, first pitch had already taken place, and the next thing you know, we're watching the game, and and he comes stumbling back towards the camera, and down goes John McSherry, who sadly died of a of a massive heart attack in the you know, right at the beginning of that that game, and that was a uh, I know Marge Schott kind of embarrassed herself a little bit that day because she couldn't believe somebody would die and ruin her opening day. But it was a it was just a surreal thing to see and watch, and, and the game was obviously postponed at that point. Just really weird. That sounds about like Marge. Let's yes. uh, stay on the topic of baseball. Skinny MLB Commissioner Rob Manfred spoke on Wednesday about baseball's return, saying, "Quote." Look, my optimistic outlook is that at some point in May, we'll be gearing back up. We'll have to make a determination depending what the precise date is as to how much of a preparation period we need, whether that preparation period is going to be done in the club's home cities or back in Florida and Arizona. Again, I think the goal would be to get as many regular season games as possible and think creatively about how we can accomplish that goal, end quote. Uh, other ideas thrown out there by various talking heads and people around baseball include playing the season as normal, but just continuing into November, playing a bracketed turn tournament-like season, and also playing seven-inning doubleheaders to fit in as many games as possible. Skinny, what do you think Major League Baseball should do when it's safe to return to play? I, I, yeah, I, I don't like. I, I saw the uh, the GM uh, of the of the Blue Jays came up with the idea of the the, the double headers and the seven inning games, and I'm not really opposed to that. To be honest with you, the colleges do uh, a lot of times. They'll do seven inning double headers and nine inning you know single games as much to save pitching staffs as anything else. But I, I kind of like that that idea. I just don't know if I'd like it to cram in a whole season if you started it in July. I think his proposition was you'd play nine games total each week for 18 weeks. That would get you 162 games. The season would go through October, which means the playoffs don't start till November. Yeah, no thank you. I Look, I, I know you're trying to keep the, the sanctity of, of 162 games and records and service time and all that stuff's going to shake itself out. Um, but I just, I look, if you start in July and you're able to squeeze 100 games in, let's say, and end the season when it's going to end, I'm, I'm good with that. I, I don't need 162 games if that's the case. I mean, if, even if it comes down to you start after what would be the all-star break, right? If maybe that's just the way the calendar shakes out and you play – 81 games in that time frame, even though it's never a half and half season the way it splits itself up. I'm, I'm okay with that too. I mean, I still think you get enough of a sample size of a season in to at least crown playoff teams and division champs and play your playoffs in, as normal. I'd, yeah, I, I think that would just be reaching. If it has to be a shortened season because of that, it, it just is what it is in my opinion. You agree or disagree? Well, I, I think you would get a little more parity than usual if you resorted to playing you know, just half the games or something like that. But I'm certainly fine with it. I, I think baseball is already too long of a season as it is. I've been wanting them to cut back on it for a while. Um, I do think 
that you've got some serious headaches that you have to sort out in terms of players' contracts. And um, obviously the record books, this thinks like for guys that are chasing certain milestones or what have you, like this is a season that will change everything um, for their careers. And when they're arbitration eligible, it'll, it'll but, make but Rick, a harder argument. Yeah, but so did, so did the 94 strike and so did the 81 strike. Right. And I, uh, yeah, I mean, uh, happened. I, I'm, right, right. No, I mean, that, that's the thing. I don't think it's an impossible situation to work around. It stinks for everyone involved. Um, but at the same time, I think the best way to go about it is just shortening the season. However, that has to be. Now, if you get to the point where you are like, in the end of July or August before you're able to come back, which it may sound like a, a, a long shot or, or a worst case scenario, but at this point it might be possible uh, based on what we've heard. Then, then I don't know what you do. I, because it really I think you, I like, think you scrap it. I think you like scrap it at that point. Well, I mean, but you're still, I still think there's some money to be made, some, some goodwill to be built there. I mean, you, you don't want to give your fans nothing, right? If you've got two months of the year, even if the NBA is trying to finish up their season or what have you, and you won't be the main focus, I still think you need to do something. And maybe that's the point where you do look to go outside the box a little bit more. Like some of these people have talked about just doing a bracketed tournament for the entire season where you go, you put every team in the tournament and the, the worst record from last year is the lowest seed. And the best record from last year is the top seed. And you just play it out like that. in in this five game series or seven game series or what have you, I think that's an intriguing idea that maybe you have to look at if you get too late into the season. But if you're able to get back close to the all-star break, I think you just play the shortened season as normal. Uh, yeah, I, my fear would be, though, if if, if that is the worst let's, – let's go with your worst-case scenario of sometime in August. Let's say worst-case scenario obviously would be the season gets scrapped entirely. But, but in your scenario, you're also going to have the NBA pushing back its calendar, the NHL pushing back its calendar, the start of the NFL season. And in some of the cities, I mean, you know, New York, Chicago, Detroit. Cleveland. I mean, you got you got maybe three professional teams playing at the same time. That's that's a lot, man. That's a lot. Sure, and, and that's why I think if you get that late, you really can't consider doing a normal season. But I also think it, it's tough to just scrap everything. So maybe that's the time you, you seize the opportunity to do something that's fun, exciting, new, out of the box, and will at least draw some attention for the start of whatever you're going to do if you're going up against the NFL and the NBA and maybe the NHL all at the same time. All right, Skinny, let's switch gears here. Looking at the gridiron, the Bengals roster turnover continues. Gone are Tyler Eifert, Nick Vigil, and Clayton Fedulum. In are a host of new names, including the most recent additions, wide receiver Mike Thomas, safety Von Bell, linebacker Josh Bynes, as well as cornerbacks Mackenzie Alexander and LaShawn Sims. We've already talked about the additions of DJ Reader, Trey Waynes, and Xavier Suofilo. Let's grade the Bengals' new additions, and we'll start with safety Von Bell from the Saints. I don't mind it. Um, I, I know it looks kind of odd because you technically have your starters back, right? You got Jesse Bates back. You got Sean Williams back. But they they did play a lot of three-safety look last year. Um, Brandon Wilson really kind of emerged in that, in that role, and some of it was because of the, the issues at linebacker. Sean Williams was kind of playing a, a linebacker spot. Um, and, and Von Bell is a good tackler. He's good against the run. You know, four years, he's got seven forced fumbles, seven fumble recoveries. He's not great in coverage. But maybe you put Sean back there. I mean, Sean 
two years ago led this team in interceptions or was tied with the lead with five. And then last year they had to move him into the box a whole lot more to play the run again by default. But I think they like the three safety look. I think they'd like to use it. And if you're going to use it, uh, getting Von Bell, I, I have no problem with, especially when you really didn't address the linebacker spot. So uh, the other part too is, is um, you know, Sean's a free agent after this year. I don't think they're going to pay him. And Jesse Bates, after this year, is going to have one more year left on his rookie deal that will end in 2021. So uh, it gives you some insurance there. So, I, yeah, I, I'm, I'm fine with the Von Bell signing. I think it's a, it's a good enough player that probably fits what you want to do schematically. Yeah, I think you look at what Von Bell's done in his career, and he's a guy who has been Burton coverage a decent amount. He's he's not great in that regard. He doesn't make many plays on the ball, but he is great against the run. He's known as being a toughness guy, a guy who will come up and, and not be afraid to stick his nose in there and make tackles. And really, when you look at all of these moves, but specifically the Von Bell move, it seems like that was something that Coach Taylor and his staff were after um, during this offseason, was trying to find guys that could tackle in the secondary. Yeah, you know, I they will miss Darquez Denard's toughness as a slot corner, but, um, you know, I think Mackenzie Alexander will be a, a, a decent addition at that spot. And while, you know, I, I made it known last week, I'm not overly thrilled with paying DJ Reader that kind of money. I mean, he signed to help you stop the run as much as anything else. Um, the signing of the linebacker, Josh Bynes, I'm not thrilled with that one either, only because, again, it's a guy on the back end of his career a little bit. He's bounced around from teams. He's he's never really been a regular Um but if he has a strength, it's probably against the run. And again, if you get him in there for a down and then you can go to your three safety look and still feel like you're not giving up anything against the run on second and longs, then, okay, you've done some things schematically without really addressing linebacker. And I'll be honest, Rick, again, I'm not thrilled with paying DJ Reader. I'm not overly thrilled with Bynes. I'm not overly thrilled with Trey Waynes, although I think it's an important signing because they need a starting corner there. I think they obviously have targeted what they wanted, went after it hard and aggressively and got it. And while I would have liked them to do more at linebacker, I, I guess in theory you can't do everything in one offseason. Yeah, I think that's a fair point. I mean, when you look at Pro Football Focus's linebacker rankings for the, the free agents available, one of the guys that everyone was mad the Bengals missed out on it and didn't spend enough money to get was Nick Kwiatkowski uh, from the Bears. And, you know, obviously he has a little more upside. He's still younger, um, and he, he's more of a pass rusher than Bynes is. Bynes really gives you nothing in the pass rush, but Bynes is a, a run stuffer. And when you look at the grades from last season, he graded out as the number six linebacker, according to Pro Football Focus, while Kwiatkowski was at number 15. Um, they're ranked just nine spots apart in Pro Football Focus's free agent rankings. Not saying it's the end-all, be-all, but I'm just saying everyone would have been thrilled and over the moon if the Bengals got Nick Kwiatkowski. They end up with Josh Bynes, and you know some people are especially in the media nationally seem to think it's, it's a pretty nice get for the Bengals. But I also understand your point of this feels a lot like the same type of guy. Yes, the Bengals yeah. Always end up with when they don't value the linebacker position. Yeah, how did A.J. Hawk work out? How did Carlos Dansby work out? How did Kevin Minner work out? How did uh, Preston Brown work out? Um, and Preston Brown was younger, but he just is an old-school 4-3 middle linebacker. Then those guys aren't needed really in this league anymore. Um, but all the rest of those guys were a little long in the tooth. They really were kind of at the end of their career. I don't know if Bynes is, but a 31-year-old linebacker, which is what he's going to be, who, who again, it's not, like, it's not like he's been a starter on a consistent basis at different places. He started for Arizona in 2018 at middle linebacker for 11 games. They didn't 
think enough of him to keep him around. He's played seven, started seven games for Baltimore, but only got picked up due to injuries. And, and you know, he, that's the reason they, they ended up getting him and they didn't keep him around. And when I see that, there's, there's a reason for that. I mean, I, I know some of it you can argue, well, maybe you don't have room, but when guys bounce around, they bounce around for a reason, right? I mean, B.W. Webb bounced around for a reason, right? We saw that last year. Can he play? Sure. Is he really good? Not really. He bounced around for a reason. Yeah, I, I think that's right. But I, I will say, again, not that these are the end-all, be-all, but going back to the pro football focus rankings, it's interesting that Bynes fell right behind Kwiatkowski in the rankings, and then the next guy behind him is Danny Trevathan, um, who the Bears re-signed at you know, $7.25 million right. a year, um, and, and he was ranked 120th overall as opposed to Bynes at 98th. So, again, if you tell the Bengals fans they signed Trevathan or Kwiatkowski, I think everyone would be pretty happy with those additions. You had Josh Bynes. It's kind of like, eh, we'll see. Um, and for good reason, at the same time, there may be some upside with that signing. That That's definitely a wait and see for me. I'm, I'm really interested to see how that one works out. You mentioned Mackenzie Alexander as well. I, I think we can both agree that LaShawn Sims and Mike Thomas, defensive back and wide receiver, are nothing more than, than – candidates for free or uh, for special teams special there's no doubt i mean that's exactly that's all they are is, yeah. is really i mean sims may be in a pinch can certainly play some corner but that, that's not the optimal spot for him and mike thomas is almost exclusively going to be a special teams guy right um but mckenzie alexander you mentioned we haven't really talked about him yet it's a it's an important spot because Darquez Denard was probably one of the best players on the Bengals' entire team last year, and certainly on Agreed. the defensive side of the ball, he was really important to what they did and was in the action a lot. Part of that is because they didn't stop the run real well up front. Um, <laughs> That's but, the point. But Mackenzie Alexander, where do you think he fits in in terms of replacing Darquez Denard at that slot slot position? <laughs> I'm a big Darquez Denard fan, but uh, for all indications, I mean, there's a lot of people that seem to like Mackenzie Alexander. And if he can, I would say this, if he can be Darquez Denard, okay, I'm good with that. I, you know, if you can be just as good as he was, um, then then that's fine for me. I, I'm, I'm, I'm good with that. I, I just, I like Darquez. I thought he was a solid player. I think the key for him is, were you always going to get 13, 12, 15, 16. You certainly weren't going to get 16 games out of him very often. You didn't. Um, So maybe from a durability standpoint, Mackenzie Alexander becomes a better fit. I think that's the big thing for me with Denard. He was fine for what you needed. He was a really solid slot guy who was a sure tackler, wasn't a spectacular player. But at the same time, you were going to need to pay him some money at this point. And for a guy that just hasn't been reliable physically, and through no fault of his own, he's just been injured. Um, some guys just have that bad luck. I, I think you kind of have to look in another direction and say, we can probably replace that guy. And we maybe don't need to spend the same uh, as much money as we do for him. Or if we are, we can fi- probably find someone who's more durable, maybe has a little bit more upside. And uh, hopefully that's what they got with Mackenzie Alexander. But it remains to be seen. We knew heading into the offseason that the Bengals were thin in the secondary. The team has clearly addressed that hole on the roster by adding three defensive backs and a safety with Trey Waynes, Mackenzie Alexander, LaShawn Sims, and Von Bell. The club also re-signed cornerback Torrey McTire, who came on board last season and played the final five games. Darquez Denard, B.W. Webb, and Clayton Fedgelome have all signed elsewhere. Drake Kirkpatrick's future remains up in the air. Skinny, do you think the Bengals have clearly improved their secondary through free agency? Um, I don't know about clearly, but I think you've at the very least kept status quo and maybe a little bit. I mean, it, it's not a, a stretch to ask Trey Waynes to be better than Drake or Patrick. Now, will be will he be markedly better? Not based on on grades, if you will, from from the last couple of years, but 
I, I don't think it, I think you can agree with this. I don't think it's going to be a stretch for him to at least be somewhat better. If Alexander's a wash with Denard, if Von Bell comes in and you can get that three safety look and be better at it, maybe with Von Bell in there, um, then I would say yeah. I mean, Clayton Fedulum had kind of lost out to Brandon Wilson as the third safety last year. He's still a great special teams guy. Almost made a couple of Pro Bowls because of it. And look, so you let him walk. You let arguably your best um, special teams guy go, but then you've got um, you've got LaShawn Sims, you've got uh, Mike Thomas to maybe fill in for that. And at the secondary spots, again, if Alexander's a wash with Denard, I'm fine with it. If he's better than Denard, then boy, you got yourself a nice steal. If Waynes is is a step better than, than Dre, then yeah, I think you have upgraded your secondary. Is it markedly better? I don't think markedly, but I think it's a chance to be better. Yeah, that, that seems like the right analysis to me as well. They are, I think objectively anyone could say they're probably better. Um, the question is, is, have they actually improved the point of you'll notice their defense is better as a unit? Because last year, the defense was just a disaster. So being marginally better than last year is pretty meaningless, if we're being honest. You could kind of get lucky or just have a few things go your way. You're going to look better than you did last season. So, yeah, I mean, in terms of actually, did they clearly improve? It remains to be seen. It's not out of the question, though. I mean, I think you could reasonably say they've upgraded with each kind of move they made. Not that all of them are exactly one-for-one type moves, but to a certain extent, they've kind of replaced all the guys that they've lost. And I think it's it's reasonable to say that they've done enough to, to feel good about where they're going in the secondary. Linebacker, probably another story, certainly another story, but, but in the secondary, I think they've done enough to feel okay. Yeah, and and look, I mean, B.W. Webb was just a guy, right? I mean, and he ended up having to start a bunch of games by default. The one that I'm really interested in, and and I don't know if they feel they can count on him yet, because again, it's a durability factor for the kid. But I think Darius Phillips has a chance to be a good player. But the thing is, that's kind of a roll of the dice, because here's a guy who also has had some injury issues and, and only played eight games last year, but he also led him in interceptions with four. He shows to be a willing tackler. I think he can be a good good return guy along with Brandon Wilson, all those things. But if you want to tell me that right now he's your fourth corner, okay. If you want to tell me you go into the year with him being a starting outsider slot corner, I'd go, I'm okay with it, but can I get 16 games? And if I don't get 16 games and I have to play LaShawn Sims or I have to play Torrey McTire, because really Torrey McTire is just a special teams guy as well, then I'm not feeling quite as good. So you certainly have upgraded your, your starting caliber guys, which then always improves your depth. So I'm good with that. One name I do want to throw out there that I'm a little surprised, you know, after the Bengals uh, make the move for Von Bell, you then see HaHa Clinton Dix sign basically a one-year prove-it deal with the Cowboys for a very reasonable amount. Um, you surprised at all that the Bengals didn't make a run at HaHa Clinton Dix, or do you think he's a guy that maybe has some baggage considering he's moving to his third team in three years? Yeah, that, I think that's a good question, and, and maybe the latter is the part of it, but I think the other part is if that's all the guy wanted, and maybe that's all the guy wanted. Maybe that was the best he was going to get from anybody was a one-year prove-it deal. As I just mentioned after this year, you have no Sean Williams. At least he's a free agent. I shouldn't say you don't have him, but he's a free agent. Jesse Bates then has one more year. If you, if you get three years a three-year contract out of Von Bell and feel like you're going to get all three years out of Von Bell, it gives you at least security at the safety spot that you might not have gotten with a one-year deal with a ha-ha Clinton Dix. And maybe the Bengals run with the boat with a lot of other teams that, look, we don't want him long-term. It is a one-year prove-it deal. So I, I, I no, I, I think what they did with Von Bell is probably the right thing. It's a fairly, it seems like a fairly reasonable cost to feel like, all right, if this guy can be a three-year player, it gives us security at the position. Uh, that's a fair point. Uh, Skinny, what do you think happens with Dre Kirkpatrick? 
he's gone. I mean, there's for a multitude of reasons. You know, it, it's funny. All these these deals that have been agreed to are not official yet. The only real official signing to this point is is Tory McTire, who was uh, one of the Bengals' own free agents. So I'm guessing they were able to to get a physical with him in the facility quickly. The other guys, because of what's going on with coronavirus, you, you haven't been able to do physical. So you haven't made these signings official. So you don't really have to account for this money and you don't have to account for it yet, but they're going to have to free up money to sign all these people. And, and Drake or Patrick is going to free you up $8.29 million against the salary cap. And let's just say for argument's sake that, uh, people, you believe the stories that the Bengals may consider keeping him. You're not keeping an $8.29 million backup corner. You're, you're not doing it. Let's not forget, they also signed Tony Brown from the Packers. They got the kid out of Canada, uh, Tony Rose, or whatever his name is. I mean, they've got other backup cornerback spots. Drake or Patrick will not be on this football team in 2020. All right, there you go. Let's switch gears here, Skinny. Thanks to the coronavirus pandemic, we've skipped March Madness and jumped straight into transfer portal season in college basketball. The first domino dropped earlier this week when Xavier forward Dontarius James announced that he had put his name in the portal and will play his final two years out elsewhere. Xavier, Cincinnati, and NKU have all been active in the search for transfers and grad transfers already. In fact, NKU, right before we came on to do this podcast, added an addition in the form of Juco wing Darius Harding, formerly of Elizabethtown High School in Kentucky. Uh, Skinny, what type of player do you think each team needs to add the most during this offseason? I'm not asking for specific names, but more so just like what archetype should they be looking for to uh, improve the most, if, uh, a guy ready to impact the team immediately? Yeah, I, I know Xavier's obviously got a point guard coming in, but are you going to hand the keys to a freshman? Not that you can't, not that teams haven't, but are you going to hand the keys to him? I, you can answer this one better than I can. I mean, I don't think Kiki Tandy is a pure point guard, and so I don't know if I can count on on that. I, I always want a point guard, an older point guard if I can get it. Um, but I, I think the, the whole part, and we talked about this during the season, they need a knockdown shooter. They need a guy that when you kick it out, that guy is deadly and it frees up some of the stuff inside. Um, they just didn't have that. We thought Jason Carter might be that guy and he just never was. Um, you know, the fact that then Paul Scruggs had to go play the point changed some of that. To me, I, I'm always in the point guard mode, but I do know Xavier probably has that position covered. I, I'd say a knockdown shooter, and that's probably true of everybody, but I think especially for Xavier. Yeah, everyone in the country can use more shooting. There's no doubt about that. But for Xavier specifically, they definitely need a shooter on the wing. I don't think there's any question about that. They've got some guys that, you know, C.J. Wilcher specifically, a freshman coming in this upcoming season, is a 6'5", kind of a hybrid of like Miles Davis, Trayvon Blewett. Now, I certainly don't want to compare him to one of the best players in school history and Trayvon Blewett. He's more of like a Miles Davis skill level type guy, I would say, you know, like top 100-ish type recruit, not top 50. But he's he's got the same body type of like a Trayvon Blewett, 6'5-ish, kind of heavy set, not a great athlete, but can really uh, sh- shoot the ball and also understands how to play offensively. So I think it'll help, but it's also more of a long-term thing. I don't know that you can rely on a guy like that as a freshman. Um, so yeah, I think bringing in a shooter immediately would, would be a huge addition for Xavier this off season. Your point about point guard is an interesting one. I don't disagree that they could use some help at the position, a guy that's experienced who understands how to run a team that can make guys better. Also give you a little more insurance at, as a ball handler, but I think they have to be really careful about that because Kiki Tandy is not a pure point guard, but he's also a six foot 
guard. And you know how that works with a player and his family and how they think about the future and uh, their prospects. And being being a PG as opposed to an SG when you're only six feet means something. And so they're going to want to see the ball in his hands next year and hear that he is a point guard for the team. And then Dwan Odom, you're bringing in maybe one of the most talented players. Not, not maybe, definitely one of the most talented, if not the single most talented recruit in school history who's going to play point right away for you. That's a lot of minutes already between those two guys. I don't know if you can afford to to take away some of their minutes at the one by bringing in a veteran point guard right away. So that's something that the staff is going to have to think long and hard about. There is an interesting name that they're definitely recruiting right now from Wichita State, Jamarius Burton. He's played point guard for Wichita State, but he's also like a 6'4 athletic wing who could play the two or the three and guard almost any spot. So that might be a, a, a creative way to kind of give you some insurance at the point position, a guy who can handle the ball, make his teammates better, been through some wars, played at a high level, but at the same time, you could sell it to your young point guards as he's coming in to help us on the wing where where we have some openings. So I think that's kind of what to look at for Xavier. What do you think about Cincinnati? I think the same thing for point guard, although I do know they have one coming in. Um, obviously, Mike Adams-Woods is back, although I he was up and down all over the place. To me, it's 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 finding that replacement for Trey Scott. I mean, uh, and he, he evolved into more of an offensive threat than he had been, and I don't know if I need a guy to be the, what he evolved into as last year went along, but I need that muscle. I need that toughness, and I don't know who else provides. Chris Vogt doesn't give you that. I mean, Chris Vogt's a nice player, and he certainly gave them way more than I think any of us thought they were going to, he was going to give them last year, and you hope he takes another step forward and evolves even more. Um, and I think he can a little bit. I don't think he's going to become a 14, 15 point a game kid by any stretch of the imagination. But to me, I mean, who, who, who replaces Trey Scott? I don't know that they have anyone that can replace Trey Scott. The guy that's kind of in that mold that's uh, that will be on their roster will be an incoming freshman in Terry Eason. He was a late addition uh, by John Brannon. He's like 6'8", known for his rebounding and toughness. And so that's what they'll try to mold him into. But that's, again, a true freshman. And uh, Mike Rayfelt does a really good job of getting those guys into shape and, and getting them strong enough to play. You saw what he did with Chris Vogt this past year, which was nothing short of incredible uh, after his first couple seasons at NKU, not being able to add a single pound. But I still don't know that you can rely on a freshman to – you definitely can't rely on him to do what Trey Scott did this past season. Correct. Um, no, right. So, that's right. So yeah, I think adding adding a, a veteran with toughness would be huge for UC. Um, at point guard, I think they're probably going to have to live with Mike Adams Woods and Mike Saunders, the incoming freshman you referenced. Those are kind of their two guys for the future. I think you put the ball in their hands and and see see what you get. Um, yeah, to me, it's probably finding finding someone in the front court, uh, maybe a small forward or power forward who can give you some veteran toughness, defense that can help replace some of what you lost with Trey Scott. All right, let, let me ask you this question. There's a certain guy in Highland Heights that that, that John Brandon has on had on his roster, and yeah. um, obviously those rumblings have taken place. That's Jalen Tate. You, you certainly, if he goes in the transfer portal and wants to come to UC, you're not saying no, right? No, I, I don't think so. And, and granted, for Jalen, you know, it could be a situation where he has to uh, ask himself, I guess, do you want to have another year of starring at NKU where you're one of the best players in the Horizon League? Um, you know, probably a, a first-team all-conference type guy, maybe even player of the year in the conference. Or do you want to go to UC where there's a chance that you're maybe just a 7 to 10 minutes a game guy off the bench as a defensive specialist? Because we don't know. That might be all he is at the American level. He doesn't have 
uh, elite feel on the offensive end. He's a good ball handler um, and and creator and, and playmaker at both ends of the court, but he's not he's super tight on, on the offensive end in terms of his decision-making and his feel. So um, it'll be interesting, or it would be interesting to see how that would play out if he made a jump up in level of competition. That being said, if you're John Brannon, I mean, you kind of just referenced the point guard situation. If you could take a guy like Jalen Tate, who's a 6'5 wing defender, who's also played point guard the last two years at NKU and say kind of what I just referenced with Xavier and Jamarius Burton from Wichita state say, yeah, we're adding him as a wing, but if we need some help at point, he can do that too. Uh, th- that would seem pretty hard to turn down. And, and you know, with Jalen Tate, it's his former coach, the one that recruited him, the one that developed him and his dad also played at UC. So yeah, I think that's a, that's a pretty good sale, a uh, pretty good sell for him to make the move if he wants to. Yeah. Now the flip side to it is, I mean, if you're Jalen Tate and you get NKU to another NCAA tournament, think about your legacy. And I know a lot of guys don't. And I think we talk about it more than those guys think about it. Maybe I'm wrong, but that's a pretty good, that's a pretty damn good legacy. If you get to another NCAA tournament. Absolutely. And I, I don't think that, I don't think that goes by without him considering it um, because we talked to him on air after he he won the Horizon League championship. He was standing there with Dantes Walton and, you know, they talked about like I asked the question. There was no reason to come, come to NKU when you guys made the decision to commit here. What made you want to to be a Norris? And that was what they talked about was the opportunity to leave a legacy and put their face on a program. Now, the the other side to that, of course, is you could probably say, well, Jalen Tate's been well qualified for four postseasons now, three NCAA tournaments. Um, he didn't play in the first one because he was redshirting. Right. Played, played in the other two. This one's going to get taken away from him. He's left his mark. And by the way, the guys that he came in there with, Dantes Walton, who he calls his brother, that guy's graduating. So it, it's not going, you know, it, he's kind of in a certain way, you can kind of feel like that chapter is maybe closed. And he can move on, but at the same time, it's going to be up to him. And um, I, I think there's there's a strong pull for him either way, whether he stays or goes. It, it, I don't think there's a wrong decision to be made. Yeah. Now for NKU, that makes it interesting because they did have Malcolm Brogdon play point guard um, at times, and so I would tell you that if Jalen Tate left, I'd still have to think point guard, and then I'd also have to think um, I, I'd have to think you, you got to find a replacement for Tasha. Did you just drop a Malcolm Brogdon on us? Yeah, why did I do? Why did I drop Malcolm Brogdon on you? I, yeah, my bad. Bryson Langdon. Bryson Langdon. Malcolm Brogdon. Why did he pop in my head? Was a great ref. I'm watching. I'm, I know. I'm watching a college basketball game. I am actually. That's that's probably why I'm watching an old Virginia game. Um, no, I I I think for them it's it's even though yeah you do have Bryson Langdon back. I always still think you can use point guard help, but for them, I mean, Tower Sharp was a score. Dantes Walton was a score. You need a score. I don't think there's any doubt that what they need most is the firepower on the wing, whether that be a two, a three, a four, and they might have just added some of that. Um, you know, one guy they have sitting out right now is red shirt John Harge, um, who, who committed to them this past year but didn't play because he had knee surgery right before the season started. And he's a six eight ish forward that can stretch the floor, shoot it from the outside, has some athleticism. We haven't seen him in live action yet, but I've heard a lot of positive reviews in practice. Um, and then they just added a guy in Darius Harding, a reference before uh, from Elizabethtown High School originally, played junior college at Motlow State, and it, he looks the part. He's 6'5", he's athletic, he's tough, um, and he, he shot 38% on 193 
three-point attempts last season. So he's definitely an outside shooter, a guy who has okay, so a game. I think that could be what they were looking for. Yeah, well, let's say he fills the, the, the Dantes Walton role. You still need somebody to fill the Tyler Sharp role then, right? Yeah, I, don't get me wrong. I think even with both Harge and uh, Harding being added to the mix, it'd be great if they could find a little more firepower on that wing, especially if you lose Jalen Tate too, because, I mean, that's – 75, I don't know the exact numbers, but 70% of your it's offense probably right there yeah, among those two guys, you, you'd really have a lot to make up. Yeah, no, no question about it. That's the beauty of the transfer portal, man. There's always somebody there that might help you. <laughs> there really is. Skinny, speaking of that, uh, just before we started this podcast this morning, it came down that Najee Marshall is declared for the NBA draft. I've mentioned on various platforms that it'd be a shock if he did return to Xavier next season. That being said, what type of professional do you think Najee Marshall could be? You probably know it better than I do, but I, I want to draw the equation to Jacob Evans at, at, at UC and, and the fact that could he be a 3 and D guy. I think he can be a D guy. I just – I've never seen him be consistent enough of a shooter. I, I do think it's there. I think it's in him. And, and maybe if if an NBA team tells him, listen, you know, we're going to make you a two-way deal initially. Uh, you need to just basically work on being a standstill shooter, and we know you can defend a bunch of different positions. That part we don't question. We don't think you're anything more than this. And if he accepts that and goes and works on that, then I think there's a, maybe a spot for him in the league. But i got to be honest with you. I think it's, 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 it's a reach. Yeah, I, I don't expect him to be playing in the NBA. Um, I think more than likely what ends up happening is he goes to a G League team. You know, maybe he earns himself a two-way deal. He is talented. I, I wouldn't be surprised if an NBA team wants to keep a watchful eye on him over the next few seasons and, and see how he develops in a G League. Or, I mean, maybe he could go overseas, but then you could if, if there is an overseas, the, right, yeah, if there's an overseas to go to. pandemic going on right now, and right. who knows how that'll all shake down. So I would guess that the G League is probably his most likely route, seeing if he can work his way up from there. And I think you nailed it. I mean, the question about him is, for me, if he had ever developed – the ability to knock down a standstill three-point shot, even if he continued to shoot a poor percentage overall because he was dragging it down by taking poor shots. And, and an NBA team looked at him and said, well, we can fix his shot selection. He doesn't have to be the end-all, be-all, go-to scorer for us. We can just make him take good shots. Then, yeah, I could see him being a 3 and D guy. Or maybe even if he had showed some some improvement in his ability um, to make his teammates better and showed improvement in his feel on the offensive end over the, the course of his career, then I'd feel better about it. But really, it just seems like there's kind of a big hole in his game in terms of his skill and feel on the offensive end. And I agree with you. Uh, defensively, he can really dog guys. He can guard multiple spots. Even in the NBA, I think he could be a guy who guard the one through the three. I just don't know that he, he brings enough value on the offensive end. Something would really have to change there. I wouldn't rule out the possibility entirely, but if I had to bet on it, I, I don't think I would. Yeah, now, now here's the other part too, and obviously I'm surmising here, Rick, and you mentioned you don't think he's coming back, and I think you're you're probably right. And like I said, I, I know you're far closer to it than I am, so I'll defer to you on that, but that, that sounds right. But, but what if we don't get this evaluation period for guys like Najee? What if the NBA goes in – Let's just say they come back in mid-June and they play through what they're talking about playing through. And, and yeah, they, they're worried about their calendar, not the NCAA calendar. What if that's the case and there's not an evaluation period for some of these guys, or at least a proper evaluation period to the point where it's almost like we can tell you in November where we think you're going to be because that's when we're going to have our draft or September, and yet a semester's already started, you're still up in the air. Could that help make a decision for a guy like that and others? 
I definitely think that's something that's going into play in the decision-making process for a lot of these guys. For Najee Marshall specifically, I tend to think it, the the relationship has ran its course between him and Xavier. Yeah. Um, and I don't mean that in like like some terrible thing happened, but again, just going back to that last home game against Butler on senior day, he posts an Instagram post that says last home game in a Xavier jersey um, with like a crying emoji and stuff next right, to him. Right, right. And then right. they try to tell us, oh no, he just meant it was the last game this season. Um, and it didn't mean anything, and he deletes it. Well, it's like, well, if he didn't mean anything by it, then why do you have to delete it? Um, why to have crying emojis with it and stuff like that? So I- I'm not buying it. I think he's definitely gone. Sources I've talked to inside the program have led me to believe the same thing. Um, so, yeah, I-, I just don't expect him to be back at Xavier. Yeah, I-, I-, I tend to agree with that. I just think the evaluation thing will be interesting for a lot of those guys. Yeah, and and for almost everybody else involved, I tend to agree with you, Skinny. I think the fact that they may not be able to get evaluated or have any workouts with teams or anything could really delay uh, the the thinking for a lot of those guys and maybe for some of them to coming back another year. All right, Skinny, it is time for a new segment on the podcast. You know, with Uh-oh. no sports really going on right now, it, it you know we came up with some topics for this one, but it's going to get harder and harder as we continue to go on. <laughs> yes, it is. We asked for some some topic suggestions from our social media followers and uh, came up with a new segment called Ask Skinny Anything, and this is the opportunity for them to ask you, well, anything, uh, whether it be relationship advice, uh, your preferences in life, um, just anything, you know, former memories. We got a a whole lot of different stuff in the queue here for you. And we'll start this week, uh, with you revealed on the show a few weeks ago that you were a big fan of the masked singer. What's the best thing you've watched on a streaming service since the quarantine started? I really haven't. And, um, I, I do think I have to check out is it, is, I'm going to mess the name up. Tiger King, is Tiger that it? King. Tiger, yeah. Tiger King, yeah. Tiger King, Sweeping um, the nation by storm. By storm. I mean, guys I coach with at Beachwood and, and uh, a couple of our two athletic directors were on a, the same text messaging chain for various and sundry reasons. And they're all watching it. And I'm watching my, my phone blow up over the last couple of nights with them reacting to this crazy show. And I looked up some of the cast of characters and it just it seems almost surreal. It's actually a true story. Um, it's it is the it sounds crazy. I, I guess I'm going to have to watch it. Have you, have you watched? I have skinny. You've lived in the state for a long time. You've covered Kentucky basketball. You've covered high school sports all around this state. And when I tell you, you will still be absolutely uphauled at the level of hillbillery and redneckery <laughs> that is going on in this show. I mean, it's, it's incredible. It's Kentucky, this is why you have like the Florida man stories and Florida is famous for the crazy hillbillies because Kentucky doesn't even hold a candle what these people are doing by the end of it you hate every single person involved you feel terrible for the animals and while it certainly was hard to look away for the seven episodes that i watched it i wouldn't necessarily say i enjoyed it okay i mean these guys are going on and on about it and i am i you know i hear a guy get his arm ripped off and comes to work five days later there's murder and mayhem there's there's a woman who fed her husband they believed to one of the cats correct and is that is that so the story goes i mean it's wild the ladies the lady's husband just disappeared and all this stuff was like in the actual news i mean remember i remember barstool sports was blogging about this stuff i mean it was just within the last five ten years that all this stuff was taking place it's it's insane. I saw somebody actually. There's a uh, there was a picture of a guy who's got a he's he's sitting at a at a table I guess outside. And what's the lady's her name? Diane. It said it said 
text me if you believe Diane fed her husband to the tiger or something like that. I'm like, what are we, what is this show all about? Yeah, it's absolutely absurd uh, from start to finish. Now, I wish they could have found, what happened was the guy filmed literally everything. So he filmed everything personally because he thought he was in his own reality show. And then he also at one point had hired a reality TV show crew to film him, like producers and everything. Oh, so my heavens. There is so much footage that they had to work with that they they elongated it too much. It ended up being seven episodes because they wanted to fit a ton of footage in. They needed like a sharper editor to say, nah, we don't need all this. Let's get it down to about five episodes. Four or five would have been a lot better. I, I, I will tell you, for, for, to answer this person's question, um, I have not really done any of that. I mean, I've still been working with free agency going on, so I usually work till about 6 o'clock, uh, 5 or 6 o'clock. I'll watch the news for a little bit. I, I've been watching the back-to-back episodes of the old cartoon, The Flintstones, from 6 to 7. By the time you get done with dinner, then usually MLB Network's got something on I've been interested in. There's occasionally a basketball game I might flip to an old one. So I, I've not become bored. I like movies. I've found a couple of old movies. I've watched Stripes a couple times. I've watched watched uh, Office Space once. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not a big binge-watching stream show kind of a guy. So and I, I, It's funny, as much as I've talked about The Masked Singer, I haven't watched an episode in probably two weeks. I'm going to have to catch, catch back up on that because you caught me off guard with the Sarah, Sarah Palin thing. Yeah, yeah, you really need to catch up. Although I would imagine they've they got to start stop filming at some point, right? I would think I would I would think so. Either that, or everybody has to keep their hat on so they don't spread the virus. So yeah, maybe that's what actually that's not a bad quarantine show idea. Is just everyone yeah, exactly. has to wear giant mascot masks. Exactly, and then you reveal marinate, them marinating their own virus. <laughs> exactly, and then maybe come July they all take their hat off and we'll see how they're doing. See if they're still alive. No, I don't hate that idea at all. Uh, Skitty, next question up. This is a little two-pack from the same person. What was your favorite sports moment you've covered, and what was the worst sports moment you've ever covered? I'll go with the I'll go the best first, um, and that's kind of the way it was asked. I, I've always loved I always loved the Kentucky Derby. Um, I got a chance to cover I think ten of them, nine of them, something like that, and uh, just always enjoyed it. Go down there on a on a Monday, start on the backside on a Tuesday, and come back after the race on a Saturday. It was a long work week, uh, busy work week, but it was always enjoyable. There was a lot of fun activities, uh, people that I you know, that I cover basketball and football with that, that would come in for some of those. So I get a chance to see some of those people too. And then I, back when I covered, uh, the university of Kentucky for a beat back in the late nineties, early two thousands. Um, I just, I loved that conference tournament week through the NCAA tournaments. And it felt like I lived out of a suitcase for about a month. And the, 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 I guess the nice part for that was uh, all my responsibility was literally come home on a on a Sunday, do my laundry, hop an airplane on a on a Tuesday, go to another town and live out of a suitcase. Now, it was a lot of work. It was a lot of working and a lot of probably too much drinking. And there'd usually be about a two week drying out period yeah. when I got back. But yeah, yeah, even for me, uh, that's how that's how that, that's how bad it could be. But no, those were always a lot of fun because you know you, you get good basketball um, for Kentucky. Then they didn't go to Final Fours when I covered them. I was right after the national championship team in '98. I covered them the next five years. But there was always uh, you know second weekend, so I mean they were always playing deep into March. So uh, those were always fun and, and obviously cool cities and cool venues to go to. So yeah, I, those, those would be my two favorite by far. Um, I'll, I'll let you do what, what's your favorite, then we'll do our worst. The favorite for me is is easy immediately. Whenever anyone asks me this question, I know the answer. And it is the Crosstown Shootout Brawl between Xavier and Cincinnati. The Kenny Freeze, Yancey Gates, Mark Lyons, Two Holloway. Just all of that was was absolutely fantastic. It was I was still so young and just starting out doing, especially on the college side of things and, and doing the Xavier site. 
that uh, to be in the center of the national sports scene essentially for 48 hours and covering the story that everyone was talking about on sports center and every zip them up. Yeah. I mean, it was, it was so much fun. I mean, I, I think I gained like a thousand Twitter followers that weekend after it happened. Um, it was kind of the first time I, something I was covering was, was really getting hits and clicks and, and people were talking about it. Um, it was incredibly fun at the time. Yeah, I also, speaking of fights, I didn't even think about that. I, I also got a chance to cover uh, a UC football game. I was covering Kentucky in the Maui Invitational, and on the way over, we we, uh, we went to Oahu for a couple of couple of days, and I talked my way into to doing that because UC was playing Hawaii in a football game. And for those that may remember, that was the infamous ball on the field after the game. And I was I had worked my way down to the field uh, probably with a couple of minutes to go in the game. Um, I was the only journalist there, certainly the only one from Cincinnati, and I told the SID I'm going to go down and get some quotes on the field. Field from from Rick Minner and, and the players, so I'm kind of standing there waiting for the game to end, and all of a sudden this crazy, crazy fight erupts. Um, I, I can remember I heard a thing go literally whizzing by my head. You know, we've all heard that that sound of a baseball, right? Go. Pfft. Well, I heard this thing go by my head. I went, what? I walked over to pick it up. It was a full baby jar of food that somebody. I, who would throw a baby jar of food at that, that, that people? That could kill you. Oh, I heard the, the hissing sounds that went by. That's why I was kind of interested. What in the world was that? And went and picked it up. Um, that's where, uh, you know, Rick Minner had that great quote that you hear on the radio every once in a while still. This is a disgrace. And it was, it was just the craziest ending to a game I've ever been a part of. I mean, I'm, I got guys fighting at my feet. I'm trying to, you know, dodge people that are rolling at me and trying to get not rolled up on. Uh, Dave Gadouli, Gino's father, who's an assistant at, at Gino Gadouli, now an assistant at UC, was a, was a quarterback then. He was in there pulling people out. He's a former bare knuckles fighter. And I think he wanted some of that action too. Um, that, that was a crazy, crazy night. All right. What about the worst sports moment you've covered? <laughs> I got two <laughs> and, and, and this is going to sound awful because the guy I did the, the event with was great. I once did back in my early broadcasting days, I was in my right out of college, and I did some work for, for a guy on a cable, cable access station. Um, some people may have seen on Facebook, thanks to some other people, a picture of me doing a bowling show with a certain porn mustache on. Well, I that believe was, I saw that. I think you did too. So this is in the porn stash days. I did, I did a police pistol shooting contest out at the airport. Excuse me? I did play-by-play for it. Yes, play-by-play for a police. And thank goodness for the guy that did it with me. I'll never forget him. Foy Razor. I believe he was a Fort Thomas policeman. Um, he might have worked at the airport, but I think he was from Fort Thomas. Anyway, he was a he was a big help because I had no idea what I was talking about. I don't shoot guns. I don't know anything about guns. I can't, I can't tell you about guns. But the guy asked me to do the broadcast at that stage of my career. Um, Rick, I was in the never say no phase. I still, I, I, I don't say no very often anymore. That's why I do the podcast with you. I, I heard I can't say no to people. Um, yeah, but no, I, I was in that kind of phase of, of, of my career where sure. Okay. I'll go do the police pistol contest. So were they um, shooting at targets? Yes. Targets. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Targets. Hand targets. Guns? Handguns. They, there was actually a police. I used to play softball at the airport. There were two softball fields back behind the runways. Um, my dad worked for the airline, so I played on the American Airlines team, and we played softball back there, but there was also a police pistol range right by it, and so it was out there, and um, two-hour broadcast, baby, there I was, doing the police pistol contest. You can probably find that somewhere on YouTube, I'm guessing. Oh my god, I need to try to find that if I can. I just can't even imagine how that goes for you or the color guy who you claim was good at this. Like, I mean, I assume you sound a lot like uh, the guy from Major League, when Euchre goes in the bag and is done drinking. 
Fly ball. <laughs> it, it was more or less, all right, now up from the Erlanger Police Department, here's Rick Brewing. And Rick would do his shooting. Foy, what'd you think about his technique? And Foy would go on with it. Okay, up next, here comes uh, comes Chad Brendel from the Ellesmere Police Department. Chad's a seven-year veteran, he's works with a canine unit. on three suspects <laughs> in the last year. And he's, he's had a coughing attack, and he's not going to be able to shoot today. So, uh, no, I that's mean, that, that's, that's, kind of, that's, that's kind of what was. Now, the other one I did, too, and this was out at the, the old Florence YMCA, which is no longer there. It was, it's by the post office there in Florence, uh, for those that may remember it. But the old Florence YMCA, I for the same guy, maybe even in the same year, could have even been the same month for all I remember, I did a uh, an obstacle course uh, commentating thingamajigger and i it's, it's almost too surreal to explain i'm sorry so a pistol shooting contest and a, a obstacle what? course an obstacle, obstacle course yeah and the weird part was the I obstacle course tell if all of this is a joke or if you're being serious right now i'm being serious i'm, I'm hoping i can find those somewhere some somehow someplace i really hope we can too <laughs> uh, so, yeah. who who participated in this obstacle course? I need Any, like, anybody that wanted to anybody wanted to come try and do it. So, little, little, little Freddie, little little Susie, Grandma Josie. I mean, whoever wanted to try to do the obstacle course. Next up, Betty Trencamp. She's bringing up the senior division. Fifty six years old, a little top heavy now, but back in the day, skinny, she could really get it done. A much sleeker figure. Now coming off, got, got a little bit of coming up on top. Coming off hip replacement surgery. A little bit of a wobble in her step now, and she comes around the first bench. She's got a great pace going. She wipes out. Ah, that's going to sting. That's going to leave a mark. Let's see how much time it costs her. Ah, she can't get back up. I remember when that was over, I couldn't get in my car fast enough to leave. Really? I can't imagine how many beers you would have drank that night after calling that. That was that was a little much for me. But again, hey, sometimes if, if you feel like you can do those kind of things, you can do anything. After each person that finished, I had to imagine, oh, that was a great time. That's going to be tough to beat. We'll see what we got next. <laughs> That's kind of yeah. – I think we actually had a running clock for that too, come to think of it. Uh, I would hope so. It's a freaking obstacle course. How else are you uh-huh. going to score it? Yeah, but again, you can imagine these are graphics from the late 1980s. Good luck with that. Yeah, it's a, f- a fair point. Graphics in 2020 aren't much better. I, I work at a TV station, I would know. Um, Wait. This is kind of along the same lines, but one final question here to wrap things up. What was the worst job you ever had? Oh, this one's easy for me. And, and the job itself that I had that led to this, I actually liked. I worked at Johnny's Car Wash, uh, started when I was about 15 or 16. And when you started at Johnny's Car Wash, you pretty much, you you were the guy that would have to climb into the car as it was coming down the conveyor. Um, and you would you would clean the windows inside. It was about as menial task a job as humanly possible. You'd get soaking wet. You'd have, it was a mess. But that, that's where you started. And you ended up, though, when you kept getting promoted through the ranks, you became the finisher. And the finisher was the guy that got the tips or the person that got the tips. You drive the car out, you give the final wipe down, take the receipt, they tip you, and you didn't have to share the tips. So the finisher was the gig. Let me be very clear that this is not the only time in your life that you're tipped for being the finisher and wiping down. That's the well, the wiping down part maybe not true, but yeah, the finisher, yeah, that's a good call. I've been the finisher at other things and gotten tipped for it. Good point. So anyway, they at that point 
the guy that owned it, Johnny Simpson, he owned other property behind the car wash and decided he was going to put a batting cage in. You may have actually taken swings at that batting cage before, Rick. Um, I'm guessing you know what I'm talking about, though. I, I do. I'm familiar. I, I believe my dad had a bun- ran into a bunch of potholes in that parking lot. He probably <laughs> Someone owes him some money for that. Probably did. Because I one day got pulled off of finishing and had to go pour asphalt to build that batting cage. That and it was the worst. Dude, I had on a nice, I remember I had on like a polo shirt, nice pair of shorts, had on a decent pair of tennis shoes, actually probably a fairly new pair because I was the finisher, you know, and and, (laughs) no chick on that one, unfortunately, and they pulled me up there to pour asphalt, and and, and when I tell you it was about a 95 degree day, pouring hot asphalt, you had to, about every 10 minutes, Get off the asphalt, put your both feet in a bucket of cold water just to cool them off. Then you'd go for another 10 minutes. I ruined a pair of tennis shoes, hated everything I was doing about that part of the job, and I was just glad when that, that actually, I did it for about a week. When that whole week was over, I vowed, I, I, I was going to college anyway, but I vowed then and there, I am, this is, none of this is for me. Not, no, thank you. Messing with concrete, asphalt, anything in that genre, not, not really my deal. Not my bag at all. <laughs> And, and in retrospect, they probably should have hired professionals to do that, but what a yeah, cheaper way to, the, to take the guy off the line to do it, but it was okay. It's not like that's a tricky spot there with that being on a hill and a, a downward slope no, and a diagonal. No, that's pretty good no, your first time. Yeah, yeah. I, I, you know, I was such a professional asphalt pour. I knew exactly what – I didn't know what that what, what the hell was I doing? Yeah, professional ass maybe. I don't know about yeah. asphalt pour. Take the full part of it out. Yeah, good yeah. call. Um, the worst job I had is along those same lines. Uh, I've only had, I think, three jobs I would consider real jobs in my life. The one I was at, uh, Papa John's. Um, I, I don't know. I worked at Papa John's. Not a, not a delivery guy. Pizza maker, I guess. And call taker. Like, I went to La Rosa's, but was a delivery guy and could make a pizza now and then. Yeah, it was like it was like two or three months in high school before I was like, nah, I'm not doing this. Um, and then uh, what was the other regular job, real job I had? Uh, I worked at a real estate company taking pictures, which I actually uh, really enjoyed that. Um, so I guess there were three. The other one was I, uh, the houses that they were selling. Oh. Like I go in and right. take pictures of the interior of the house. It was it was actually a great job. You got to go in and see all these design things people were doing with their houses, and uh, no one would bother you. You just go in and upload them to the MLS, and that was the day. That was great, um, but that was just like a summer in between college. And um, then the, the final one that was – just the absolute worst was right before my final year of college that summer. I was, I didn't really have anything. I had just moved out cause I got a great opportunity to move into the house that I currently live in that I absolutely loved. And so I was like, I have to do it. I have to find a way to make money. So I started uh, working for a landscaping company. And when I tell you it made me, it made me work so much harder when I went back to school that fall to figure out how I was going to do anything other than landscaping for the rest of my life. I mean, it's incredible. It was the worst experience of my entire life. I did it for two and a half months, and then I happened to have – I got very lucky in the sense that Brian Snow cussed out just about all the powers that be at Rivals, and uh, he got a national job at Scout. And I took over the Xavier Rivals site <laughs> right after that. And so I no longer had to work landscaping. And um, so that was just, uh, I mean, the greatest uh, the greatest move of my life was getting that Xavier site to, so I could get out of the landscaping gig because that was yeah. the absolute worst. It's funny. I got a friend of mine who is a landscaper, and, and, and he's passionate about it. And, and some of the – 
I know that, and I get it. I mean, if you enjoy that stuff, I, I, it's one of those things. You find your passion, that, that's the key. Find your passion and, and go do it, and he, he, he absolutely loves it. I'll give you one more bad one I had, and I thought I was going to make a mint off of this. And this was, uh, this was I think, before my, it was my senior year of my, before my senior year of college. Um, I, I answered an ad for, a, for, a, for being a door-to-door knife salesman for Cutco Knives. And I am not a sales guy by any stretch of the imagination. So I was a terrible at it. B the whole concept was you, when you, when you went to somebody, you'd ask for three to five referrals. And the whole point was these knives are so good that as long as you just keep making calls, you're going to get enough people to buy. And I will tell you this, the people that bought from me and they were mostly family friends and I still have my my cut. Those, those knives were great knives, but trying to sell knives to people, dude. Oh my gosh! Well, then I forged signatures, and I because you, you said you get all these names, we'll, we'll pay you a minimum of three thousand dollars if you at least have this many signatures. I forged a bunch of signatures. They never paid me, and I called it a day. So I made probably that summer about one hundred and forty bucks. Oh, but I do have my set of knives. I still have my set of Cutco knives. It sounds like it was worth it. You got 150 bucks and some nice knives out of the deal. And some nice knives. Yep, exactly. Can't put a price on nice knives. I always say that. No, exactly. Exactly. All right, Rick, we got we got more stuff for next week, correct? You saved some in the bag? Oh, yeah, we've got plenty. The queue's building okay. up, and if people want to send in more, uh, send them to me. Any questions you've got for Skinny, or I guess me if you really want, um, on Twitter, Instagram, email, however you want to get them to me. Also, we're looking for more ghost stories. We're going to get back to our roots and start to <laughs> ghosts again sooner than later. I'm Here's the thing, though. Yeah, you're not afraid, but here's the part. Now you're home all the time because you're 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 kind of like I mean we're all semi self quarantined hopefully and staying practicing safe safe distancing. Man, you you really want to wow those ghosts up? Well, the hardest part about dealing with ghosts is when you have to come back home for the first time when you're away. That's when you're away is when uh-huh. the ghosts are away. You come back. Good point. That, well, if you're always that's... home, ghosts don't come out. That's a good call. Maybe. Well, you know what we're gonna do? Let's put that to the test then, starting next week. I'm sure we will. All right, very good. Rick, I appreciate it. Thanks uh, for getting things set up for us. Uh, we appreciate you guys listening. Uh, stay safe, and uh, hopefully before long, we'll, we'll keep doing these podcasts each week, and hopefully we'll be talking sports uh, maybe within a month. We'll see. Hopefully that's that's the case. For Rick Boyd, I'm Richard Skinner. Thanks for being with us. It's the Skinny Podcast, the weekly potpourri edition. <laughs>